Welcome to the Magnificat Podcast. We are an international ministry to Catholic women. Throughout this series, we will pray together, share insights, and hear amazing testimonies, typically from women of faith who have been touched by the power of the Lord in their lives. This is a decidedly Catholic podcast, and in this series, you will hopefully learn more about the Catholic faith, God, the Blessed Mother, and much more. Thanks so much for joining us. Now let's listen to a great program. Good morning, everyone. Tomorrow is the Feast of the Assumption of Our Blessed Mother into Heaven. And for anyone who isn't familiar with that, it's the the Catholic Church celebrates every August 15th as the day that Mary, Mother of Jesus, was assumed body and soul into heaven. And it's a huge feast day for us. I'd like to start with a Hail Mary. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. I want to give you a quick overview of my early life so that you'll have some understanding of where I came from and what God has done for me. Uh, Both of my parents were alcoholic. I was born 13 months after my seven-year-old brother hung himself, and I was born to replace him. And my poor mother wanted another boy so badly that on the delivery table when the doctor said, it's a girl, she said, take it back. I don't want it. I'll be back next year for my boy. So 16 months later, my younger brother was born, who was the little golden boy. And when I was three or four years old, my mother was really angry with me for something. And I was, I was standing in her bedroom and the sun was shining in her window and she was pointing her finger at me and just screaming at me. And she said, Stacy, you're gonna go to hell for that. I remember the life draining out of me and into the floor. I just thought, there's just no hope. And I have no idea what I did that made her so angry. But please keep this in mind because everything in God's world happens for a reason and you'll find the reason here later. When I was 10, my parents hired a 17-year-old neighbor boy to babysit us while they went to a Christmas party, and I had begged them, please, please don't leave me with him. Please don't leave me with him. Oh, it's, it's, it's okay, it's Ken and Betty's son, it'll be fine. I said, no, please don't leave me with him. Well, they did. And that night I was so terrified of him that I went to bed with my clothes on, the light on, and I had wrapped the covers really tightly around me, thinking this would protect me. Well, it didn't. And after that was all done, sat by the window looking down the road, and every set of headlights that would come up the road, I'd think, oh, that's them, and the hope would rise, and it would drive by, and the hope would crash. And this happened, it seemed like forever, I have no idea how long it really was. And they finally did come home. My mother was so intoxicated that she couldn't walk. And I thought, poor dad, he's got his hands full with her. How can I tell him what happened to me? And so I didn't. I never said anything for 10 years. This is when I started to drink. At 18, I met my Prince Charming. I was so sure he was going to rescue me and that he would take care of me and protect me and get me away from them. 
we were engaged and it wasn't long after that that I found out that he had been cheating on me and I was so heartbroken and so humiliated that I just decided to end it all so one night I took a handful of pills I washed it down with a bottle of booze I climbed into the bathtub I pulled the shower curtain around me I sat down and I waited thinking I'm not gonna wake up well the next thing I know the police are there they're dragging me out of the bathtub they handcuffed me and put me into the back of an ambulance when I woke up in the hospital I remember the first thing I thought was I can't even kill myself and get it right I am such a failure my mother was right she told me I'd never amount to anything and she was right I can't even kill myself after I was discharged from the hospital no one ever mentioned it again not my parents not me no one it was never mentioned again that I had done this and I just drank more I thought that the booze would kill the pain and that and it did for a while but I always woke up and I was in a bigger mess than I had been in when I went to sleep so shortly after this I married a man who had uh, two children he treated me like a queen until the day we got married and the first time he hit me was on the way home from our wedding and I that lasted two years and the more he hit me the more I drank the more I drank the more he hit me it was just really not good so three years after that ended I married another man and by this time I was full-blown alcoholic within four years we had uh, two little girls when the oldest one was almost four years old I was really hung over one morning I wasn't drunk but I was hung over and she was standing on the stair in the kitchen and I was just reaming her out I was just yelling at her and pointing my finger at her and I saw these huge crocodile tears well up in her eyes but they didn't fall and then I watched the life drain out of my precious baby and I knew exactly how she felt I remember the day the life had drained out of me and I was devastated I had promised myself all my life that I would never become like my mother and there I was within two weeks I was in an outpatient treatment center and I began attending AA meetings in the basement of st. Christopher's Catholic Church in this and here is where I began to encounter God these wonderful people they loved me they accepted me they helped me they taught me about who God really is not the punishing scorekeeping God that I had been raised with but a God who loved me and really wanted to help me if I'd let him it took a couple of years but eventually I worked my way out of the basement and into the crying room at st. Christopher's for Sunday Mass here I met some really wonderful women who took me under their wing they taught me about the mass they taught me how to pray the rosary they taught me oh they just taught me so much taught me how to sit in church and not kill my kids I just found more of God these women had something that I wanted they were happy they were peaceful they were joyful in my whole life I had never known this and I wanted it I wanted it and I was going to do anything I could to get it one of these women was in a charismatic prayer group in Pequot Lakes and she had mentioned something about baptism in the Holy Spirit and I thought well what is that she said, well, charismatic. I said, what's a charismatic? Ah, you know. I knew I wanted this. I knew I wanted it. So I asked her, I said, will you help me to do this? And she said, sure. So she went to her prayer group in Pequot. 
and the leader who was her husband explained to me he read me out of uh, to me out of the Acts of the Apostles about the baptism of the Holy Spirit they they educated me on a few other things and then they said okay now this is what we're gonna do we're gonna form a circle around you we're gonna raise our hands we're gonna pray and ask this Holy Spirit to come into you more fully and I said okay so I stood up they formed a circle around me they went like this and I fell flat on my back and I went Wah! <laughs> and it was just like somebody had just tapped me behind the knees and I just went right on the ground and I remember this old gray-haired lady I don't know what her name was but she's standing over me going boy was she ready <laughs> I, went, I went holy cow I laid there for I don't know how long I, it was so peaceful and I felt so safe something I'd never felt before and I knew that I was no longer alone I had always felt that it was me against the world now it wasn't something had changed I had been baptized I'd received First Communion and a confirmation as a Catholic thanks to my grandma my family of origin or the foo foo as I call them they never went to church so I didn't get any upbringing in any kind of religion at home but my grandma did and she happened to be my godmother too I everything after that day came alive for me the scriptures uh, became alive mass was amazing I began to pray in tongues people started coming to me and asking me to pray with them and I'm going what are you not I don't know how to do that they would come to me for prayer and God actually helped them and I'm going holy cow this is really amazing after this I started reading everything I could get my hands on about the Holy Spirit. I went to charismatic conferences. I went to a number of Life in the Spirit seminars, and I prayed all the time. I just loved to pray. It was just amazing. Through my affiliation with St. Christopher's, I met Deacon Mike Knuth back there, and he arranged for me to meet with some really godly women that were spirit-filled. They would counsel me. So we met for coffee for every week for two years, I think. And they taught me how to be a mother. They taught me how to be a wife. They encouraged me. They made me understand what true friendship was really about. One of those women was Lori Knuth, who's here today. Then I also went to counseling because I had so many other issues that I needed to address. And thank God there's counselors. I mean, <laughs> But God was healing me. By this time, I had three beautiful little girls who were baptized Catholic and being raised Catholic, and they were being well cared for, which was a miracle. At that time, I began to realize that my second marriage was not going to last. Uh, the healthier I got through AA, the more our marriage fell apart. After six years of sobriety, my husband and I were divorced. I had taken my daughter to a piano lesson and I knew that I needed to do something I just didn't know how I could do anything and I'm standing on her dock and I said Lord if you want me to stay with this man I will stay but you're gonna have to give me the grace to do it I said if you want me to go you're gonna have to show me where to go because I have nothing I have no money I have no job I have nothing but you that very night I got home and a gal that I used to room with called and said how are things going I said, well, not real well, but I don't have any place to go. And she said, well, you can stay at my house this summer. I'm not going to be there. I went, really? Day after school let out, I drove down my driveway with my van, three kids, a box of groceries, our clothes, and $10 in my wallet. I was scared to death, but I knew that I wasn't alone. 
I knew I wasn't alone anymore. One day that summer, I was trying to do some book work to figure out what I needed and how, you know, how I was going to get it. And I needed a paper clip or a rubber band to put on this book work. And I searched, there's no rubber band, no paper clip. And I said, Lord, I just need a rubber band or a paper clip. And I don't have the money to buy it. Well, Deacon Mike calls me, says, Stacy, Father Ken Roberts is doing a mission at St. Chris this week. Would you mind coming out and manning the book table? Because I had a book table at St. Chris. I said, sure. So I get out there. I unload everything of Father Roberts. And guess what? Everything came wrapped in rubber bands and paper clips. <laughs> everything. I had pockets bulging with rubber bands and paper clips when I went home. And it just showed me that God is so concerned about even the tiniest little need we have. And I went, oh, wow, God, you're something else. As the summer was waning on and I knew that my kids wanted to go to school in Pequot, I was living in Brainerd and I wanted to be closer to St. Chris because my church family, I cried out to God and I said, Lord, the kids want to go to school in Pequot. I'd like to be closer to St. Chris. And by the way, I really need a job. <laughs> A friend from St. Chris called and said, Stacy, would you and the girls like to come and live with me this winter? You, you can have the whole downstairs, no charge. What? Yeah, okay. So I packed up my van and I moved into this house and the kids got picked up at the end of the driveway by the Pequot school bus. I was three miles from St. Christopher's and I'm going, okay, Lord, still no job. I don't have a job. I walked into the Catholic bookstore in Brainerd one day to buy a card for a friend who happened to become my husband. Walked in to buy a card for him, and, and I walked out with a job. I managed the Catholic bookstore for the next three years. And it was just amazing. But I said, find a more permanent place to live but Catholic bookstores don't pay very much. I'm looking and looking and looking and I'm not finding anything. And my brother had this little house that he had built. It was a little two bedroom. It was finished on the outside, but the inside needed a lot of work. Went to him and I said, would you rent me your, this little house for $100 a month if I finish it off on the inside? And he said, that ain't gonna happen. He said, my wife and I are gonna move in there. I can't help you. I said, well, if." that doesn't happen, will you rent it to me? He says, I don't know, we'll see. Within a week, they found a home that they fell in love with and bought for themselves. That week, my brother tells his wife, I had this dream last night. He said there was four figures of light standing at the end of my bed, one tall one and three little ones. He said, I think it was Stacy and the girls. <laughs> And they buy this house, they move in. I start getting to work on this little house that was an absolute disaster. We got the sheetrocking done, we got the painting done, and I needed carpet. So somebody said, Stacy, call Peggy Steiger. She could probably help you. And Peggy and her husband, Tom, owned the floor-to-ceiling store in Brainerd at that time. But she, they were also members of St. Chris. I called Peggy and I told her what the deal was. And she said, I'll come out and do some measuring. I said, okay. So she comes out and she measures. She said, I'll get back to you. A couple days later, she called and said, how much money do you have? And I said, Peggy, I've only got a hundred bucks. She said, well, be ready Friday morning. The guys will be there to put the new carpet in. I went, okay. And here it was the carpet, commercial grade carpet that they had put in the basement of St. Christopher's, but they couldn't get the pattern to match up. So they had to tear it out. So I had this commercial grade carpet in my living room and it had pink roses on it. 
Hallelujah. <laughs> then Peggy comes out and she puts drapes on all my windows. And it cost me $100 for all of this. I find out I need a refrigerator for this house. Mike Knuth calls and said, Stacy, St. Chris is repa uh, replacing the refrigerators in their basement. The old ones still work. Do you need one? I said, yes, yes. So that night, Mike and another friend came out to this new house. They took the old fridge out that didn't work, put in the new one, and took the old one away from me. And I'm going, I can't believe this. I, I just, it, God, God was providing everything and anything that I possibly needed. I needed everything, dishes, silverware, beds, and someone gave me each one of those things. Then I'm getting ready, we're close to moving in, it's going on to be Christmas here shortly, and my brother says, I don't think the well will work in that house. I went, you've gotta be kidding. You wait until now to tell me this? And I said, Lord, all you have to do is touch your finger to that well and it is gonna pump clean, pure water. It did, it did. Christmas is coming. I'm working at the Catholic bookstore. I am making $5 an hour. I had $450 a month in child support. So my whole monthly income was $1,050. I have Christmas coming and three kids. I said, Lord, I don't know what I'm gonna do. They don't want a whole bunch of stuff from the Catholic bookstore. <laughs> so who calls? Mike Knuth. <laughs> said, Stacy, I need a list of all the things that your kids and you want for Christmas. A family from our church has adopted your family. I wrote out a list of everything that the kids needed and wanted, gave it to Mike, and he calls back and he said, Stacy, I didn't get your list. I said, well, he said, I want your list. Said, okay, so I wrote a frying pan, some dish towels, you know, stuff that I really needed and didn't have and really couldn't afford to get. When they brought it over in these great big orange Fleet Farm bag. We moved into our little house during the snowiest, coldest winter in years. It was 47 below one day. I mean, it was cold. And we're in our little house. We're okay. We're together. We're loving it. And I need a Christmas tree. And I said, Lord, I don't have a saw. I don't have money to go buy a Christmas tree. Help. A friend calls, Stacy, so-and-so cut down a whole bunch of trees for his family in Iowa. His truck broke down and he can't haul them down. Do you need a Christmas tree? <laughs> yes. Yes, I do. So I pile my kids into the van. It must have been 25 below zero. We drive way out west to Pequot somewhere. And I have no rope to hang, tie my tree. So we put it in the front seat of the car. <laughs> And we drove home singing all the way. We were so happy. And the car never did warm up. That tree was so cold. But we get it home. We put it in the stand. We start decorating it. And I go to put the star on top, and the whole top goes bloop. It was beautiful. We left it like that all the time. I was so grateful and so in awe of how God was just taking care of us. In the, it's just amazing. Christmas morning comes, we've got these, all these gifts from the family that adopted us, and my youngest daughter came out of her room on Christmas morning and she went, oh, I must have been very good this year. <laughs> and I thought, you got kicked out of Catholic kindergarten this year. Don't, 
<laughs> Don't you talk to It was one of the best Christmases we've ever had, was that time. I, and I will always remember that. Called the people who adopted us our earth angels, and the woman who had taken us in the winter before was Grandma Betty. Always prayed for our earth angels and Grandma Betty every day. I said, Lord, I would really like to know who these earth angels are. I had written them letters to thank them, but they wanted to remain anonymous. One day this woman walked into the Catholic bookstore and the Lord said, her. And I looked at her and I said, are you my earth angel? And she goes, how did you know? <laughs> I said, God told me. <laughs> Turns out she had been in a very similar situation to me and she was paying it forward. I have done the same since. I mean, I've been able to pay it forward. Beautiful story. I took my two grandkids that live in the cities were up here this week and I went, uh, took them birthday shopping with the COVID thing. I don't know if I'm gonna be able to get down there, you know, and stuff. So I said, how about we go birthday shopping today? They, yeah, 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 you know. So we get in the car, we go over to tar Target and of course we're heading right for the toy aisle. <laughs> and there's this little girl in the toy aisle and she's got this mask on with like Tasmanian devil teeth on it, you know, <laughs> cutest little thing. And she's telling my granddaughter all about this toy and it's some fish in an aquarium. It's a fake fish, but it swims and it eats or something. I don't know. This little, I could tell that this little girl wanted that toy so badly, but she never asked. She wasn't hinting. She was just telling my granddaughter how great this toy was. And I went around the aisle. I thought Esme, my granddaughter, was still standing here. I went around the aisle and I said to her mother, I said, I would like you to buy that toy for your daughter. And I gave her the money for it. And she said, what? I said, I want you to, to give, buy, if it's okay, I want to buy this toy for your daughter. And she goes, are you serious? And I said, yeah. And she said, why? I said, because she really wants it. She's a sweet kid and I want to bless her. I said, and I know what it's like to be a single mom. And she looked at me and tears started to flow. And she said, how did you know? And I said, I saw it in your eyes. So that little girl got her toy, but that's not the best part. That afternoon when we got home, my four grandsons from down the road came down to see their cousins. And my granddaughter had bought this little wand and you tip it and tip it and it's got glitter and stuff in it, you know. And my two-year-old grandson fell in love with it. And she gave him that wand. She said, Grandma, I saw what you did for that little girl in the store today. I had no idea she had seen me. I had no idea. We never know who's watching us. Don't get me wrong, it was really a difficult time for us. I mean, it was extremely hard. Joan, my friend here, she knows that. She's been around for 30 years. Mike and Lori know that. But God was always there, and he always gave us everything that we needed and a whole lot of what we wanted. There were so many times I didn't have money for gas or clothes or food. One day I went to the store and I said, Lord, I only have enough money for milk, bread, and cereal, but we can really use some meat. And I went to the store, I came back, and someone had left a whole box of venison wrapped and frozen on my deck. And I'm going, whoa, that was quick. <laughs> I've got this venison now, and I'm going, holy cow. I would come home from work at night, and there would be bags of clothes hanging on the doorknob for my girls. And they weren't new, but they were like used Columbia snowsuits and, and boots and I mean it was really good stuff. We'd come home and there would be a bag and I'd say oh cool somebody left some more clothes for the kids and there was a bag there and it was full of brand new sweaters for me. They still had the tags on them. I have no idea who put them there. 
I had no idea. I'd go to the post office, I'd open my mail, there would be cash in envelopes. No notes, no return addresses, no nothing, just cash. One day a woman walked into the bookstore and she said, Stacy, God told me to give you this. And she hands me this envelope and I opened it and it had $500 cash. And I said, I can't take this. I said, I'll never be able to pay you back. She said, God told me to give it to you. You don't have to pay me back. Let me tell you, it saved my bacon. Because I would go home and I'd say, girls, let's have a poor man's meal tonight because I didn't have enough to feed them. Yeah, mom, let's have a poor man's meal. So we'd have rice because that's all I had to give them. But <laughs> my youngest daughter, she's such a goof. She says one day when she's growing up, she says, you know, mom, I had a really tough life and I didn't even know it. <laughs> and I said, what made you think you had a tough life? She said, well, we were really poor and I didn't know. <laughs> I said, well, then, honey, you weren't that poor. <laughs> then I telling the Lord that I will never marry again. I don't want anything to do with any man ever again. Immediate conviction comes down. What if I want you to get married again? I said, okay. 30-day novena to St. Joseph had arrived in my mail. And I thought, well, St. Joseph was pretty good to marry and Jesus. So, okay. I said this 30-day novena to St. Joseph, and I said, if God wants me to marry again, St. Joseph, I'm asking you to pick the guy, because I am no good at this. <laughs> I, have, I will pick out the most dysfunctional, abusive, <laughs> alcoholic person in the room, and that's who I'll want to marry. It's just who I am. Okay, so there was a guy in AA who had four years more sobriety than I did, and we were both divorced, and we didn't know anyone else who didn't smoke, didn't drink, you know, didn't party, so we just decided to hang out with each other. Well, we did that for a year. Then we decided to date, and then this guy walks into the Catholic bookstore one day and asked me out. And I said, well, can I get back to you on that? And I went home and I called Jim and I said, are we dating exclusively or can we date other people? <laughs> and, and he says, we can date other people. Why? And I said, I've got a date Friday night, thanks. <laughs> I got home that night and my phone is ringing off the hook and I'm not answering. I know who it is, it's Jim. So anyway, next morning, 7 o'clock, phone rings. Hello, you could have at least called me last night and let me know you were home all right. <laughs> and he says, and we aren't dating anybody else anymore. <laughs> and I went, okay, we're not dating anybody else, okay. One day he and I are sitting on his deck, Jim and I, and I looked at him and I said, what is your middle name? He said, Joseph. Oh. I almost fell out of my chair and I thought, is this the guy? We've been married 25 years now. When we got married at St. Chris, Deacon Mike was on the altar, Lori was singing. My girls walked me down the aisle because my father was too intoxicated to do so. But when I told my mother I was getting remarried, she said, Stacy, the only reason any man would want to marry you is to get to your girls. And I said, thanks, Mom. Jim has been an absolute St. Joseph to my children. They think more of him than they do of their own father. When they need something, they call Jim. He has been so good to them, and he has been a true St. Joseph to us. I had never stopped praying for my family of origin, the foo. I so desperately wanted them to have what I had. I wanted them to have the sobriety. I wanted them to have the peace. And I had separated them myself from them for about eight months. I had written them all a letter, the same letter I just addressed it to each one, and I said, you know, I just can't be around this. I, 
the way you treat each other, the way you talk to each other, the way you treat me, I just can't do it. But I said, if you ever want to get help, I'll be here. I never heard from any of them. And I thought, okay. So about eight months later, I am away for the weekend. I get home and there's a message on my machine from my mother and she said, Stacy, this is your mother. If you ever want to see your dad alive again, you'd better get off your high horse and get out here. Click. And I went, I was seething. I thought, okay, calm down. Took about three hours to calm down. So I called her back and I said, uh, where's dad? She's, I said, is he in the hospital? She says, well, no, he's not that sick. I said, well, then how can he be dying? She said, well, he's crazy. And I said, well, then you call an ambulance. I said, they know how to deal with things like this and they'll handle it. She went, he's not that crazy. <laughs> I said, look, when he's in the hospital, give me a call. Next day she called and said he's in the hospital. So I waited until after visiting hours were over because I didn't want to run into the foo. I walk into his room. He looked like he was a hundred. He was comatose. And I stood by his bed and I started praying. And this nurse walks in and she looked at me very defensively and she said, who are you? And I said, I'm his daughter. I said, how much of this has to do with his drinking? And you could see her visibly relaxed. She said, all of it. And I said, uh, what's going on? So she's telling me he had gone into DTs at home. I don't know if you're aware of this, but more people die in a hospital withdrawing from alcohol than people withdrawing from heroin. Uh, withdrawing from alcohol is really a dangerous situation and needs to be monitored when someone is chronic alcoholic like my father was. She says, uh, we really need your help. I said, yeah. She said, your mother is so overwhelmed that she's of no help to us and your brother is so belligerent we can't deal with him. Will you help us help your dad? I almost ran. What was I going to say? No. Well, I got back involved. So for the next three years, I helped take care of my parents. My mother had Parkinson's disease and she could hardly take care of herself, let alone my dad. I had been praying 14 years for my father to get sober. When he came out of this, after three months in the VA, when he came home, he had no recollection he'd ever drank. He had no recollection he'd ever smoked but he had no short-term memory left either, and he had alcoholic dementia. So this wonderful, brilliant, very funny man couldn't remember how to make a pot of coffee. He didn't know how to run the microwave. He could not be left alone at all. He had 24 hours supervision because he just, he couldn't remember. Had my dad retained his, his mind, the miracles that happened following may not have happened. Had he retained his mind, the miracles that happened would not have happened. That year, uh, he turned 85 in March, and the Lord said, uh, take your dad a four-way medal. And I said, what? Take your dad a four-way medal. And I said, dad hates Catholics. He will never accept a medal. Take your dad a medal. Okay, so I get a four-way medal, I had it blessed. I go out on his birthday, I sit in front of him and I say, dad, I have something for you and I'm wondering if you will wear it. He said, what is it? I said, it's a medal. And I opened my hand and he says, is it Catholic? I said, yes, Dad, it is. Who's on it? I said, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. I've asked them to watch over you for me, and I'm wondering if you'll wear this. 
He stops, he thinks, I thought, well, there it went. He won't remember what I just said. He bowed his head and he said, okay. I slipped the chain over his neck. He looked up at me with tears in his eyes. And he said, you're a pretty good kid, you know what? I went, oh, miracle number one. <laughs> so between January 16th and December 25th that year, dad was in the ER 16 times. Every chance I got, I would talk to him about inviting God into his heart. I talked to him about, I wanted us all to be in heaven together someday, and he just wasn't having anything to do with it. He didn't want, about three weeks before he passed away, or a month maybe, I was out visiting him, and he was sitting in a chair he never sat in, and he looked just really sad, and I knelt down beside him, and I said, Dad, I said, what's wrong? And he said, I don't know, but I think time is short. I said, well, what do you mean by that, Dad? And he said, I don't know. I just think time is short. And I said, well, Dad, I think you're right. And I said, I would really like us all to be in heaven together someday. And he said, what do I have to do? And I said, all you have to do, Dad, is say, Jesus, come into my heart. And he thought for a few seconds, I thought, well, there it went. And he looked at me right in the eyes and he said, Jesus, come into my heart. And then he says, there, you thought I was stupid, didn't you? <laughs> and I said, stubborn yes stupid never <laughs> I said you just wait dad and see what God does in your life from this point on in the next three weeks he received all the prayers of the church all the prayers of the dying from a Catholic priest he received the anointing of the sick from the Catholic Church after the, he was anointed I leaned over his hospital bed and I said dad did you hear what the priest just said and he said no what I said he said your soul is as clean as a baby's butt and he looked up at me and he goes I hope so <laughs> and I thought, there's an act of contrition. <laughs> I, I just went, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. On Christmas morning that year, I sat bolt upright in bed that morning and I said, Jim, God's gift to me is he's taking my dad home today. And he said, go. And I said, okay. I got ready. By this time, dad was in a nursing home. He'd been there for a week or so. I got over to the nursing home and he was the same as he'd been. They told us he could linger for another four to six weeks. And I thought, gosh, did I not here correctly I thought well I'm gonna stay anyway so I stayed and I prayed that afternoon Jim my st. Joseph called and said I've made Christmas dinner the girls are home if you and your mom want to come home and eat come home if you don't just stay and I said okay so we decided we would go back to my house and eat and see the kids and I said to my dad I said dad I'm going home and see the girls and have Christmas dinner with them but I'll be back if you want to wait for me you wait for me if you don't you go ahead and go home well, my mother blamed me because he died because I told him he could go. We went home, we had dinner, we came back, and as I'm driving down the Civic Center Drive, the sun is like this, and there's these golden beams coming off in a cross shape. He went, wow, that's beautiful. I drive over the Mississippi Bridge, and this eagle flies right in front of my car, and I went, oh, Dad loves eagles. And I thought, this is it. I get back there, he has deteriorated completely. I sat down, I held his hand, I prayed a chaplet of divine mercy for him. His hand was purple by the time I finished, and I said, I need to get a nurse. So I went and got the nurse. She says, I need a blood pressure cuff. I said, we need to pray. We stood up, prayed in our father, and my father was gone. On Christmas Day, I said, you dirty bird, you sneak into heaven on Christmas Day. God waited 85 years for you. So, yep, 
And my father did not want a public visitation. He did not want a church funeral. He had never been Catholic. I went to daily mass on the morning of the 28th of December, which was the day of his funeral. And I remembered it was a mass for my father that I had arranged three months before. So my father had a mass on the day of his funeral that God had planned. I can't plan this stuff. I mean, I'm just not that smart. He had a Catholic mass on his funeral day. So that was really cool. My dad wasn't the first person I was with when he died, and he wasn't the last. God just seems to place me with the people that he wants me to be with. I don't know how it happens. It just happens. The first person that I was with was a woman named Cecil. She had breast cancer that she'd been diagnosed at 39, and back then they said you never got breast cancer before 40. She died at 46. I only knew her for about six months before she passed away, but she would always say, Stacy, you're the one. You're the one. I said, I'm the one what? I'd been back in the church two years. I said, I'm the one what? She said, you're the one that's going to get me into heaven. I said, what? Don't put that on me. I no way. Well, anyway, six months later, Cecil passed away with me at her side. I reached over to close her eyes after she had died, and guess what I saw? Me. I saw me in her eyes looking back at me. And I thought, wow, this is... I just loved being with her. I lo she was the greatest teacher about what the dying need and want. She just taught me so much, and I found out that I loved it. I loved being with dying people. And I've witnessed a baby being born, my oldest grandson, and I've witnessed many people dying. And they're both equally miraculous and beautiful. And it's such a sacred time. It's a sacred time. And to be welcomed into that by someone is a true honor and blessing. 25 years after Cecil passed away, Mary Jo texted me and said her husband David had had a stroke and was in the hospital. And I said, okay. So I went up to the hospital after daily mass for a five minute visit. This woman follows me into David's room. She said, who are you? I said, oh, I'm just a friend. And she said, I thought she'd ask me to leave because it wasn't family. And she said, we need help with David. I said, what? She said, well, his sisters live so far away and they're so elderly that they're not able to help us. Would you be his medical power of attorney? I said, I haven't seen David in 15 years. She said, well, let's ask David. Okay. So she says, David, do you want Barbara to be your medical power of attorney? No. Do you want your sister Charlotte? No. Do you want Stacy? Yes, Stacy. My five minute visit turned into five days sitting by David's bed and praying rosaries and chaplets and me, I made sure you got the anointing and make sure, you know, and Cecil's presence was so powerful in that room. I knew she was standing right behind me. And on the final day, I said to David, I said, David, I need a nap. I'm going home. I'm going to take a nap. I said, I know you're a really private person. So if you want to go home before I get back, you go ahead and go home. Otherwise, I'll be back about 5 o'clock. 4.55, they called me and said David had passed away. Unbelievable. Okay, last story. In August of 2006, I had a dream about my mother. And I hadn't seen my mother in two years as a result of some really horrible stuff that had gone down after my father died. In this dream, I'm being dropped off with a friend in front of the Edgewood Vista Nursing Home in Brainerd, which was a new at that time, and I had never been in there, but that's actually where my mother was really there. 
and somebody's dropping me off and I have to walk all the way to the back to get to the car. And I said to my friend, I said, I can't go in there. She said, why not? I said, because my mother's in there. I said, I can't go in there. She said, oh, it's all right. We won't even see your mom. This is all dream now, okay? So as we're walking through, I begin to relax because I'm not seeing my mother. And I'm almost to the back and I get to this room and I think it was a dining room and it had glass door and around the edging of uh, the, the glass was this beautiful etching. And it was just such a gorgeous door and I looked in there and there was no one in there so I went in and the only door to exit was over here to the right. So I head over there, same beautiful door with all this beautiful etching on it. I look out and I see this little lady pushing her walker down the hall, hall there and I thought, oh, I'll open the door for her. And I realize it's my mother. And I go, oh no. I can't do, I can't, I can't. Okay, she hasn't looked up. So I open the door, she w walks in, she looks up at me and she goes, thank you. And she had this kind of a vague, like I should know you. And she walks into the room. I fly out the door, I shut the door, but I turned around and looked. And my mother was standing upright, all dressed in white, smiling at me in full recognition of who I was. And an angel was standing behind her. Well, like an idiot, I went and told my spiritual director about this dream. And he said, Stacy, I don't know if your mother's dying, but this is what I want you to do. I want you to say a chaplet of divine mercy for her every day. I said, couldn't you just shove bamboo shoots under my nails or something? <laughs> Pray for her every day. And he said, yep. I said, oh, okay. So every single day I prayed a chaplet of divine mercy for my mother until the week between New Year's and the Epiphany. And that week I completely forgot. And I've been doing this for what, five, six months? I completely forgot. It wasn't even a blip on my radar screen. And I'm at church on Epiphany Sunday. Mass was gonna be at 5 p.m. I prayed my rosary. And all of a sudden it dawns on me, I have not prayed the chaplet for my mother. And I went, oh my God, I said, I'm so sorry. I am so sorry. And I look at the clock, 4.15, okay, I've got time before mass. I kneeled down in front of our blessed lady and as fervently and as lovingly as I could, I prayed this chaplet for my mother. And I went, okay, Lord, I, I, I'm sorry. I won't forget again. Next morning I get to daily mass and the priest said, Stacy, I need to talk to you after Mass. I said, my mom died. I just knew it. He said, I'll be, I need to talk to you before after Mass. So I said, okay. I went in. He says, has anyone from your family called you? And I said, no. He said, your mother died at 4.20 yesterday afternoon. The very time I was praying the chaplet for her. And I thought, holy cow. I mean, and just a side note, one of my brothers died on Labor Day. One died on the 4th of July. My father died on Christmas. My mother died on the Epiphany. I'm getting a little nervous around the holiday. <laughs> but I am hoping for Easter or Christmas. <laughs> so, God willing, and I don't screw things up, I will have 35 years of sobriety in October. It'll be 34 years since I've had a cigarette in November. And as I said, I, I've been married now for 25 years. I have seven beautiful grandchildren. My three adult daughters have happened to me that I never dreamt were possible. 
And my life scripture has been, Luke 137, for nothing is impossible with God. I hope that this witness will help you to realize that no mess is too big or too small for our God, and no person is beyond his loving touch and reach. If he can use me, he can use all of you a lot. Just be open, and I want to thank you for your time. I want to thank all of you who've been praying for me. I love you all. Thank you so much. God bless everybody. Thanks so much for listening to this Magnificat podcast. Have you been touched by our time together? If so, for more information or to find a Magnificat chapter near you, go to our website at magnificat-ministry.org or visit us on social media. We would love to hear from you. You can also email us at magnificatcst at aol.com or call 504-828-MARY, M-A-R-Y. Until the next time, may God bless you.